brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. On today's episode, I've got another weekly wind-up of the past week's playoff action. I'm going to overreact to everything that's happened in the playoffs so far. I'm going to count down my list of the top 10 smoothest scorers this postseason. And I've got another stat of the week and bold prediction coming up. Let's talk about it. What's up guys, welcome back to Around the Arc, I'm Jamie, I'm very happy to have you here and hope you're looking forward to talking about some NBA basketball. So, what's been happening the past week in the playoffs? So, the second round is now well underway and I want to start with the Nuggets and Blazers series which is now tied at two games apiece and has been arguably the most entertaining of the second round matchups, which I don't think many saw coming, actually. Um, After splitting the first two games in Denver, we were all treated to that four-overtime masterpiece in Game 3 in which Portland prevailed and ended up winning 140-137, to which is just a ridiculous score for any game, let alone a playoff game. That was just, that was that was some game to see. And then after such a heartbreaking and potentially crushing de- defeat, uh, Denver responded really well in Game 4 with an impressive road win with their backs well and truly up against the wall. So now this series is evened at 2, heading back to Denver for, for Game 5, which is now a best of 3 series. So looking forward to that. Uh, moving on, after a surprising showing in Game 2 in Toronto, evening the series at one game apiece, Philadelphia carried that momentum into Game 3, which ended up being a 21-point blowout, which put Philadelphia up two games to one. Embiid was looking unstoppable with 33 points in just 28 minutes in Game 3. Jimmy Butler, who since Game 2 has been playing like a superstar, and then in that in that game three, the Raptors' second best player, Pascal Siakam, injured his calf and was then listed as doubtful for game four. However, he would play, but he would have his worst showing of the entire postseason, going just two for ten from the field and scoring just nine points. So it seems like the momentum had clearly shifted Philadelphia's way and everything seemed to be going in favor of them. But despite all of this... Toronto came out on top 
in Game 4 to even the series behind Kawhi Leonard's 39-point and 14-rebound masterpiece. Now, looking forward to Kawhi and the Raptors, they'll look to regain control of the series in Game 5 and look to get back on top like most of us predicted they would be. Now, the other series out east, we've got Milwaukee-Boston. Now, aside from a surprise Game 1 blowout win for the Celtics, their their second-round series has totally belonged to Giannis and the Bucks, who have now taken a 3-1 series lead heading back to Milwaukee for Game 5. So this this is looking like it could be over soon. I mean, the Bucks have have responded and adjusted game to game just better than the Celtics and you see that they they're they're playing a lot more together and then since that game 1 game 1 disappointment, Giannis has just been unstoppable. I mean, he's he's playing like the MVP right now and is the main reason that Milwaukee are on the verge of their first conference finals appearance in nearly 20 years. And lastly, we've got probably the most hyped series of the second round and potentially the most hyped series of the entire postseason, and that is the Rockets versus the Warriors, the rematch from last year's epic seven-game series. Now, after falling down 0-2 to the two-time defending champs in the first two games, as well as having their best player, James Harden, injured... You remember he got swiped in the eyes by Draymond Green in Game 2. And that was apparently so bad that he reportedly could barely see. And then, of course, there was there was all the controversy with the officials in the first two games, especially Game 1 on the, on the Rockets' side. So after all of this, Houston were still able to take Games 3 and 4 at home to tie this series up. Now, they really needed both of those games and now this matchup has become very very interesting going into game five back in the bay which much like the nuggets blazers series has now become a best of three affair so there you go that's your weekly wind up of the past week's playoff action and with that out of the way now you're all caught up let's let's get into some of our other topics here's a cool stat for you James Harden and Kevin Durant are the first opponents to each average at least 35 points per game through the first four games of a playoff series. Scoring machines. Alright, moving on. So, sports media, and then by extension, fans, we all have a tendency to kind of overreact at times to certain players or teams or moments in a in a game. And th- this tendency to kind of remain prisoner of the moment is is nothing new. And at times it can kind of be the 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 kind of enemy of objectivity and can kind of prevent us from being able to step back and look at the the bigger picture. But um Sometimes, these overreactions are just actually proven to be true over time. So that's what I'm going to go for today. I'm going to go through my biggest reactions so far from this year's playoffs. And warning you now that some may seem a little bit far-fetched. Some may seem a little blown out of proportion. But uh, maybe one of them, maybe all of them, we don't know, could still hold a little bit of weight 
when the postseason's done. So let's just get in. Let's get into the first one I've got here, which is that Jamal Murray is the Nuggets' most important player. All right, hear me out. So when Jamal Murray plays well, especially in the playoffs this year, when he plays well, the Nuggets win, and when he struggles, they lose. It's kind of as simple as that. So I'll give you. I'll give you some numbers to back this up. So far in the 2019 NBA playoffs. Murray is averaging just over 25 points and about five and a half assists in wins. And that's on about 51% from the field and 43% from three. Compare that to Denver's losses. Murray averages just 17.6 points and a shade under three assists per game. And his efficiency plummets to just 38% from the field and 25% from three. Now, I'm not trying to dispute who Denver's best player is. I mean, that's clearly Nikola Jokic. Um, But he just seems to play well every game in this postseason run, win or lose. So it's kind of less glaring, um, the impact that he has on the Nuggets' success. Because he, yeah, like I said, he just always seems to play well. But what this maybe does prove is that Jokic needs a second star playing alongside him for Denver to kind of unlock their full potential as a team and play at their best and win. So no matter how important you think Jamal Murray is to Denver's success, like whether you agree with me or not, he is kind of the definition of an X factor and he'll likely remain the key to determining how far the Nuggets will go in the playoffs this year. Um, like, the the inefficient Murray will almost certainly shoot them into a second-round exit and will mean they fall to the Portland Trailblazers here. But the star version of Jamal Murray can help this team advance to the conference finals and then at least make things interesting when they get there if they play the Warriors or the Rockets. And just quickly before I jump into my next overreaction, undoubtedly some of you are going to have opinions about about this list, so uh, I'd love to hear them. Feel free hop on hop on Twitter to kind of join the discussion here. You can find me at Around the Arc Pod. Be great to see you on there. Now, my next overreaction. Ben Simmons is overrated. Right. Now, how can I say that? In just two seasons, Simmons has won Rookie of the Year, he's made an all-star team, and he's helped the 76ers climb back to become true contenders after after they were just the laughingstock of the NBA for a few years. But in the playoffs this year, especially in the second round against Toronto, Ben Simmons' weaknesses are being exposed and exploited, which, I mean... It's kind of to be expected when you're playing against, you know, a guy like Kawhi. But actually, instead of instead of saying weaknesses plural, I should just say weakness singular. Because the one thing, it really is just one thing that's holding Ben Simmons back from being, you know, a true superstar in the NBA. Not just, you know, an occasional all-star. Is a consistent jump shot. Now... I know this kind of sounds like a broken record at this point, but it's the one real hole in Simmons' game, and it and it does cause problems in the playoffs, as we're seeing. I mean, in the second round, he's averaging he's averaging just ten points 
against the Raptors and his numbers for the playoffs, they're down across the board from where they were at in the regular season. Now, his point center kind of style of play, I mean, that may work fine during the regular season, but at this time of the year when the pace really slows down and defenses, you know, lock in and turn it up a notch, it only really serves to hold the Sixers back from reaching their true potential as a team. Now, when it comes to Ben Simmons, his athleticism, his finishing ability, his passing and vision, his basketball IQ, and his defense, they're all at a star level already. Couple that with the fact he's one of the most terrifying players in transition on the fast break. But all that is currently being kind of nullified by his sheer reluctance and just inability to take or make any shots outside of, you know, five feet from the basket. And it's not like it's not like he's unplayable or anything. I mean, he still contributes to the game in lots of areas. And the Sixers do have enough other talent around him, provided, I think, as long as Embiid's at 100%, which at the moment he's not. Um, they do have enough on paper to go deep in the playoffs, but individually speaking... I think Simmons still has a lot of work to do before he can kind of live up to those lofty expectations that were set from it for him when he was, you know, when he was taken number one overall. So I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not saying he's a lost cause. I'm not saying he's not good. I'm just saying at this point, he is just a little bit overrated when it comes to playoff basketball. I think he needs he needs that jump shot. It doesn't need to be a three-pointer. He needs just a reliable jump shot from maybe 15, 15 to 18 feet to kind of make defenses respect him more. And I think that'll just open up his game and Philly's game to a whole other level. All right, now I'm just going to uh, go to the other side of that, uh, that Philly series. I'm going to he- go over to Toronto for my next from a next overreaction, and that is about Kawhi Leonard. And is he the next MJ? Now, before you just switch this off in disgust from what you just heard, let me let me just explain this a little bit. So it seems laughable at this point that when Kawhi was traded to to, to Toronto in the summer, he was considered a risk. Now, whether he stays or leaves this year, I don't think it matters anymore with the show that he's put on this postseason and what he's done for the team in just one year of being there. I mean, in less than 10 games, I think he's played eight or no, nine postseason games with Toronto to this point. In those nine games, he has all but cemented himself as the greatest Raptor ever. Yes, that does include Prime Vince Carter. And he has gone on one of the most incredible tears in recent playoff history. The kind that makes you think of LeBron from from Cleveland the past few years. Or makes you think of what a guy like Kevin Durant is doing this year. I mean, he's he always seems to be in control of the game. He can seemingly get any shot that he wants. And any shot that he does take, it seems to just go in. I mean, he's shooting nearly 60% from the field and 50% from three. While not sustainable over a long stretch, that kind of efficiency, 
to do that over the course of nine games is impressive regardless, especially when you consider the, the volume of shots that he's taking as well. And he's doing all of this on offense while remaining just as dominant as ever on the defensive end. Remember, he's a, he's a two-time Defensive Player of the Year winner. Now, to the Michael Jordan comparison. Uh, Kendrick Perkins kind of um, made some noise when... When he was when he said earlier in the playoffs that Kawhi reminded him of Michael Jordan, and I mean many kind of just brushed that off and just kind of laughed it off, but if Kawhi keeps playing like this, I think he, I think he, he might be right. I'm not saying I'm not saying for a minute that Kawhi is as good as Jordan was. I'm only saying that he, when you watch him play, some of his moves they do they do kind of remind you of Michael Jordan. And so the way he's playing the game, the way he's going about the game, it's it's quite similar and quite reminiscent of what, what Michael Jordan was like. You know, the kind of machine-like approach to the game where he just dissects teams and almost wins games on his own, almost, it, it seems like, watching him. And I think, yeah, Kawhi's doing that just maybe with a little less emotion than michael jordan used to all right next overreaction going to boston now kyrie irving's future will be decided in the second round so there's been a lot of talk about kyrie's upcoming free agency this summer i mean it's been going on all season long but it seems to have kind of quietened down to a point in the playoffs as Irving and the Celtics, they kind of found their mojo against uh, Indiana in round one and then in game one against the Bucks. But obviously since then, Milwaukee has just dominated them and won three straight, now going up three games to one. So heading back to Milwaukee for game four, it's a very real possibility that this could be Kyrie's last game as a Celtic. Now, <clears throat> I know we're not going to know how free agency is going to play out until July rolls around, but I'm just going to, for the sake of this list, I'm going to overreact and oversimplify this by saying that if Boston loses in round two, like it looks like they're going to now, Kyrie is leaving. That's what I'm predicting. And whether that would be a smart move or not, that's another topic entirely, because, I mean, on paper, Boston is set for the future i mean they're set to contend for the next you know five to ten years but with teams like milwaukee who they're facing at the moment philadelphia and toronto if Kawhi stays with teams like that in the east kind of on the rise it might be it might be that Kyrie sees this as his chance to escape to the West, you know, to maybe reunite with LeBron, which, you know, I still think is a possibility. Or he might see it as a chance to, to you know, stay out East but move and form a more formidable contender in his eyes, you know, maybe in New York if he gets Kevin Durant to go there with him. Now, all of that's speculation, but... I don't, I don't think it's actually too much of an overreaction to say that 
Kyrie's gone if they lose in round two. Because if you think about what their expectations were as a team before the season started, I mean, it was a real title or bust season, or at least it was a finals or bust season for Boston. So to flame out in the second round, that will be a really, you know, disappointing season when it comes down to it. But I mean... Technically, Boston could still win this series with the Bucks and make me look like an idiot. Um, so in which case, I'll just need to go and overreact to something else. Like what I've got as my last overreaction on this list. And that is LeBron is no longer the best player in the world. So one of the biggest stories from the regular season this year was the fact that LeBron missed the playoffs for the first time since 2005. And since the playoffs have gotten underway, that seems to have just kind of opened the floodgates for people to speculate who's next in line, you know, who's going to take the throne from the king this year and um, kind of assume the mantle of best player in the league. And while the kind of superhuman that is LeBron, he may come back next year and put everyone back in their place. But for the time being, I think there are three guys that seem to be competing for that kind of elusive honor. So first up, I've got Giannis. Um, so he seems he seems to be the obvious choice to kind of take over from LeBron. Uh in that he had his true coming out party this year. You know, he's likely going to win the MVP. And he's led the Bucks to the most wins in the league. And has made them one of the one of the top, you know, two or three teams in the league. And they're really a true contender now because of him. That being said, he hasn't elevated his level of play in the playoffs as much as the other two guys I've got on this list. I mean, he's still been phenomenal, but he's been kind of at a similar level to what he was at in the regular season. He hasn't gone above and beyond like the other two guys I'm about to talk about. So that's why I've got him at number three on this list so far. So now that means it comes down to Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, both of which have made very convincing cases as to why they should be considered the league's best. Now, here's what I think about each of them. So first up, Kevin Durant. Now, the term scoring machine, it now, at this point, seems like a bit of an understatement when talking about Kevin Durant as he's currently in the midst of one of the best scoring runs that we've ever seen in the playoffs. He's virtually unguardable from basically everywhere inside half court, and he's been the clear best player on the stacked Warriors. And at times, you know, with Steph and Clay both struggling, at times he's had to uh, almost carry this team, which is... Which is kind of surprising to think of when you when you're talking about the Warriors, because uh, um, you know you think the level of talent that they have on that team, but that is just that is just how impressive a level Kevin Durant has been at in these playoffs. And then Kawhi, on the other hand, while he may not be as kind of explosive a scorer as Kevin Durant is, and not as much of a pure scorer, 
he's been almost as good in the playoffs on that end. I mean, he's averaging over 32 points a game on almost unheard of efficiency, as I touched on, uh, as I touched on earlier. And while Kevin Durant, in since he's come to Golden State, especially, has he has established himself as one of the top defenders in the league. But when it comes to that end, Kawhi's just on another level, and I think it's because of that, along with the fact that Kawhi has less help. Uh, on Toronto than Kevin Durant does on Golden State. That's why I currently have Kawhi as number one and Kevin Durant as number two. But it's a real toss-up between those two. And, I mean, I don't think you could be mad picking either one of them. Now, what would be ideal and what I think we should all be hoping for is for Golden State and Toronto to meet in the NBA Finals. Because if that happens we'll really get to see kind of firsthand who's more deserving of that, of that best player label. And there we are. Like I said, LeBron might come back next year, you know, back at peak form, and he might remind everyone that he's still the best player in the world. But for the time being, I'm going with Kawhi. Now here's my bold prediction for this week. Kawhi Leonard will not only lead the Raptors to the NBA Finals, he will lead them to an upset over the Golden State Warriors in the Finals. How about that? Now, moving on to something a little bit different here. I want to talk about scoring. So, the NBA is filled with scorers of of all kinds. There are those that score using just raw power and athleticism and size. There are those that simply just spot up on the outside and shoot threes. And then there's the majority of scorers who fall kind of somewhere in between. But the players that I want to look at today are the smoothest scorers from this year's playoffs. So when I say smoothest scorers, this is what I mean. These are guys who are, number one, terrific shot creators. Number two, can get to their spots and get shots up against even the toughest defenders. Who Number three, can make scoring just look easy and effortless. And then number four, most importantly, they must be fun offensive players to watch. So, just so that you don't you know, throw a, throw, a, throw a rage fit and hate me for not including him. This list will exclude guys like Yanis, you know, who's, he's more of a freak athlete who uses his, you know, kind of inhuman length and agility and, you know, finishing ability around the rim to score. Um, so he's not what I would define as a smooth scorer. So, I mean, this list is nothing against guys like that, uh, guys like Yanis who, or who, anyone else who, who I've left off here. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way before we, before we get into the list here. I'm going to go through my top 10 from this year's playoffs, but I'm going to start off. I've got a few honorable mentions that I feel deserve a little shout out here. I've got uh, first honorable mention, I've got DeMar DeRozan. From the Spurs, one of the one of the few true mid-range scorers left in the NBA, and 
he really does have the smoothest of mid-range games. You know, he's able to effortlessly get to his spots and just rise up for a jumper, fade away kind of at will. And then, as well as this, he also he's got a strong floater game as well. And he's a crafty finisher around the rim and has occasional explosions where he'll just, you know, kind of dunk on somebody's head and really kind of ignite the crowd, get them going. Um, another honorable mention I've got, I've got Jimmy Butler for the Sixers. Now, Butler, he can he can consistently get to the rim as well as finish in traffic around the rim uh, through contact and things thanks to his, his great strength for, um, for a small forward. Uh, he's also great at kind of stopping on a dime for a pull-up or, or he's got that lethal step-back jumper which creates him a ton of separation. We even saw it, I think, in Game 4 of this uh, Philly-Toronto series. We even saw him do that to Kawhi. Not even Kawhi could stop it. And the thing, the thing with Jimmy is that he's at his smooth best late in games, you know, creating shots for himself or others, you know, in clutch situations. And since getting to since getting to Philly, he's really established himself as the team's closer, especially in the playoffs. And I think that's why they've had they've had kind of more success than people thought they would, especially against Toronto. Then finally, my last honorable mention here, I've got Jamal Murray from the Nuggets. Now, he's showing it in this year's playoffs. Murray's he's one of the better tough shot makers uh, when he has it going. And he's really beginning to blossom into one of the better scoring guards in the postseason. Um, I mean, he has a number of go-to moves. Now, including, he's got an array of kind of one-footed runners, floaters, fadeaways and things, which that really adds some flair to his already smooth offensive game. Right, now moving into the top 10 list. At number 10, I've got D'Angelo Russell from the Brooklyn Nets. Now, the thing with Russell, right, he can he can stop on a dime and pull up from anywhere, really. And he's just one of the one of the coolest customers when he has it going. I mean, you see his celebration that he does. You know, he has ice ice in his veins. That's a that's a fair statement when he has it going. He is a really really smooth scorer. I mean, his high arcing, lightning quick release, um, coupled with his size for a point guard, I think he's like six five six six. That allows him to shoot over most defenders, and then his quick changes of speed and his craftiness, you know, uh, change the way he changes direction. That makes him really good at getting his shot off as well, and why his pull-up game is so strong. Um, even when he's contested as well, you know, when, he, when he's got it going, it doesn't seem to matter if he's got a defender draped on him. And then he's got a really soft and feathery touch which can result in some of the smoothest splashes around especially when he when he rains it from deep you know it's such a high arcing high arcing jump shot that it's it's just one of the most pretty things to see when when he has it going now speaking of when they have it going i think nobody is as unstoppable when they have it going as this next guy, and that's Steph Curry. Now, you may think number nine, that is that is way too high up on this list for, for him to be. And you know what? You're right. At his peak, 
I would have have Steph way up on this list, but he has been struggling somewhat this postseason and hasn't been at the level we are accustomed to seeing him at. However, that doesn't take away from how good and how smooth of a scorer this guy can be when he's on a roll. I mean, nobody has range like Curry does. Nobody has a faster, prettier release. And there are very few, maybe just one, actually, in Kyrie Irving who have a tighter handle than Curry does. And when you put all of that together into one player, that is a recipe for some truly, truly epic and seemingly effortless scoring outbursts. So he definitely does still fit the criteria as one of the smoothest scorers around. Next up, I've got Chris Middleton from the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, his... He's not got the quickest game, his kind of old man, old man game, let's call it. Uh, it can kind of rock defenders to sleep, but um, Middleton, he does have an endless array of moves in his offensive toolkit. You know, he can he can pull up, he's got a good in-between game, you know, with floaters and runners. Um, he's got terrific balance on his jump shot, which allows him to you know, nail tough fadeaways, and with his size as well, he can also, he can post up smaller players too. Now, his picture-perfect jump shot, uh, coupled with his kind of dead-eye marksmanship, allows him to nail, you know, tough contested shots as well as wide-open ones. Um, You know, he he can nail them even with a defender right in his face, and that's one of that's the main thing that makes him seriously difficult to stop when he gets on a roll. All right, number seven, I've got James Harden. Now, I was pondering whether to put him in this list or not, just because, uh, I mean, it is true at times, his offensive game, it's not the most variant or or the most entertaining to watch, but then I got to wondering when I was watching, I think it was game three, of the Rockets Warriors series and I saw the the step back three that he hit in overtime over Andrea Godala and I'm and I just got to thinking there may not be a smoother move, a smoother shot in the game than Harden's lethal step back three. I mean his his go to move, which that has become, that is now it's quickly turned into one of the more unguardable shots in the league and it only further opens the lane up for him to attack which he can do so well already um and when he attacks the rim the way he finishes it's like he finishes as much with kind of grace and agility as he does with with speed and power and his his soft touch and accuracy that he has around the rim it extends into the the kind of in between range the mid range now where he's developed a kind of a nasty feathery floater uh, which he can kind of get off whenever he wants whenever he gets into the lane and we saw him do that numerous times in games three and four against the Warriors and it's worked so well for him all year. Now, yes, James Harden's game is mainly about getting to the free throw line and expo- and exploiting the rules, which he does so well, but that doesn't mean he doesn't still have one of the smoothest offensive arsenals, and I mean, that's what makes him 
arguably one of the top two scorers in the world right now. All right, number six, I've got Damian Lillard. Now, a common theme from this year's playoffs for the Portland Trailblazers has been Dame time. Now, when Dame time arrives, there may not be a smoother scorer at the point guard position, and there are definitely few smoother scorers in the league than Damian Lillard. I mean, his ability to pull up from 35 feet plus... You know, he can make the toughest of shots seem like free throws. And not only that, this is often on full display in crunch time when it matters most. You know, as well, and it's more than just his range. You know, his combination of ball handling, basketball smarts, and just creativity on the offensive end make him a threat in the mid-range, as well as getting all the way to the rim, where he finishes very, very well, even in traffic, you know, given his size. Next up, another point guard. I've got Kyrie Irving. Now, he may not have Lillard's range, but Kyrie is a marquee marksman himself from the outside and has one of the prettiest jumpers that you'll see and I think what what sets Irving apart as one of the smoothest scorers around is it's got to be his otherworldly ball handling which seemingly allows him to get by even the best of defenders and just get shots up whenever he wants you know if he gets into the paint he's one of the most crafty and creative finishers that we've seen i think in the nba and then if you manage to to keep him out of the paint and force him into a tough contested fadeaway let's say it's like looking through a time portal at a younger kobe bryant i mean irving he's really mastered that move and he he does at times look like a point guard version of the Mamba himself. Now, you can't tell me that that's not smooth. Now, number four, I've got Paul George from Thunder. And despite being bounced in round one, I mean, we all know what happened in that Oklahoma City-Portland series. PG, he still had his smooth scoring on full display, even though he was fighting that shoulder injury. Now, his size, ball handling... And his lightning quick release make him one of the best pull-up shooters in the league from mid-range R3. He's got the range as well. And then also the threat of his perimeter game, coupled with his kind of deceptive and at times explosive athleticism, he can get to the rim and finish or draw fouls. And he does that at an extremely high rate as well. Now, got another another Portland Trailblazer coming in at the number three spot. I've got CJ McCollum, the other half of that lethal Portland backcourt. Now, when it come when with McCollum, he's not all that big. He's not the fastest player. He's not the most athletic. Yet he still manages to get to his spots and can seemingly create quality shots for himself whenever he wants, even with the toughest of defense being played on him. I mean, he's got some nasty dribble moves like his uh, hesitation crossover that kind of freezes defenders, it seems. You'll see him, he often uses that in kind of semi-transition to kind of get the defense guessing. And then his other dribbles, dribble moves he has as well, he uses so well to kind of get into, get into the paint or to create space for his deadly jumper that he has. 
I mean, he's a marksman from the outside, but he's also mastered the the in-between game where he's got a nasty little floater, which is, for a player like him, a player who's, you know, a little undersized and not the most athletic, having that shot, having that runner down is kind of vital to be as good a scorer as McCollum is, especially since he doesn't have the athleticism to consistently just power through defenders and finish over them in the lane. And you watch him play. He is the definition of a silky smooth scorer. Now, the top two. I've already talked about these two guys a fair a fair bit here in this episode, but I've just got to touch on them one more time. I've got number two on this list. I've got Kawhi. You know, he's... Kawhi, he's come a long way from the 3 and D role player that he started off his NBA career as in San Antonio, where you look at him now, he's arguably the smoothest, coolest, most robotic offensive machine in the league right now with the way he goes about the game. I mean, he's one of the most efficient scorers in the league, not just with the percentage of shots that he makes, but with the number of dribbles he takes to to get his shots off as well, and with the amount of energy he expends to get a bucket. I mean, everything with him seems calculated and machine-like, which is why I think he makes scoring look so effortless, I mean, no matter who's guarding him. And then in this playoff run with with the Raptors, Leonard, he's really taken his game to another level, and like I've touched on already, has drawn comparisons to Michael Jordan. Now, if that doesn't make him one of the smoothest scorers in the business, I mean, I don't know what will, really. Um, And now, number one, I think everyone could have guessed who I was going to have here. I'm sure most of you agree as well, and that's Kevin Durant. I think he he almost belongs in a league of his own when it comes to smooth scoring ability. I mean, lots of lots of the guys that I've that I've talked about already can can get their shot off against almost any defender, but Kevin Durant, he has the same ability to do that except he's 7 feet tall. And not only that, he has the dribbling ability of a guard and it's kind of that that package that unique package, that's what makes him one of the most unique and unguardable players ever. He has just about every shot imaginable in his offensive repertoire. And there isn't there isn't a single there isn't a single player in the league, there's not a single person in the world that can guard Durant one on one. I mean I think it's fair to say at this point that when it's all said and done KD, he has the potential to go down not just as one of the smoothest scorers ever, but as the single greatest pure scorer that's ever played basketball. And yes, that includes Michael Jordan. So there you go. Another little hot take for you. I guess I could have put that in the in the overreaction segment as well. But there you go. Let me know what you think of this list. As always, yeah, hop on Twitter. Let me let me know what you think. And like I said, yeah, let me know if uh, you think I missed anyone or if you know I've I've put anyone in the wrong place on the list. You know, love to hear your thoughts on there. And that does it for today's episode, guys. Thanks a lot for 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 tuning in. As always, it's been been great to have you here. Like I always say. 
if if uh, if you're enjoying if you're enjoying the podcast, you feel you're you feel you're getting something out of it. A five star review really does do a lot to help the show. So if uh, you want to take just two minutes out of your out of your day to to go and put a wee review up on iTunes or, or Google Play or wherever you're listening to this, it really would it really would mean a lot. And apart from that, guys, I hope you. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Hope you enjoy the the playoff action that's coming up. And I will see you back here again next week, where we'll talk about more NBA stuff. All right, I'll catch you then. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.